Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem as God's Passover lamb. And in just days, Jesus is going to be taken and he's going to be crucified. So he's on the road. He's on, he has not crossed the Jordan River yet. And he is just getting ready to cross over the Jordan and to come into Judea and go to Jerusalem where he will uh, go to the cross and be crucified for our sins. And while Jesus is making his journey here, he encounters a young man who asks him this question, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus' response reveals to us much about true worship. So this young man was asking a Jesus a question about eternal life. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds by telling him, by teaching him about worship, true obedience, and true love. And Jesus' response takes us to the Ten Commandments, and it reveals the heart condition of this young man and the heart condition that God requires for all who profess to worship him. Now, I want you to hold your place there in, um, in, in Matthew chapter 19, and I want to take you over to Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to read the Ten Commandments. Fitting that we're in our 12th week of the Catechism, and we're right smack dab in the middle of the Ten Commandments. This happens to be where Jesus is on his road to the cross. And Jesus specifically draws his attention, draws this young man's attention to the Ten Commandments. So here in Exodus chapter 20, Moses records the Ten Commandments. Remember, they were originally written on tablets of stone by the finger of God. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read these verses which give us, uh, in context, the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generations to those who hate me, but showing mercy to those thousands and to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, your sons, nor your daughter, nor your male servants, nor your female servants, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor 
his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So these are the commandments. James chapter 2, verse 10, James writes this, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So you can keep nine out of ten. You can keep almost all ten of them. But if you fail in any point, the Bible says you've, you've blown all of them. You're guilty of all. So here's a brief summary of the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, have no other gods before you. Commandment number two, have no idols. Commandment number three, take, do not take God's name in vain. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Commandment five, honor your father and your mother. Six, do not murder. Seven, do not commit adultery. Eight, do not steal. Nine, do not bear false witness. Ten, do not covet. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 20 or chapter 19, excuse me. So this young man asked Jesus, what good thing can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds by giving him the commandments. The response of Jesus reveals something about true worship. Jesus responded that the man was to keep the commandments. Then the man asked Jesus, which ones? It's not that the man didn't know that he wasn't supposed to keep all of them. What the man was really asking Jesus is, which ones have I broken? Because in his mind, he had kept all of the commandments. So when Jesus said, keep the commandments, he said, which ones? In other words, where have I failed? And the response of Jesus, I think, is very interesting. Jesus responded by listing these commandments. He listed the sixth commandment, the seventh commandment, the eighth commandment, the ninth commandment, and then he went back to the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. And then he threw in, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, any good Jew and any good Pharisee and any good scribe would know that love your neighbor as yourself goes with, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. They would understand that. Jesus says, he, he gives him five commandments, and then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the response of the young man was this, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. The young man, the scripture says, went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So at first glance, we may wrongly assume that Jesus makes no mention of the first four commandments as well as the last commandment. No other gods, no idols. Don't take God's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. And the last commandment, don't covet. But we would assume wrongly if we assume Jesus did not deal with those commandments. Jesus focuses on these five commandments when he tells the young man, to go and sell all that he has and give to the poor. So let's look at the first four commandments and see how Jesus may have been implying that the young man had broken them. Now, I want you to keep in mind, if we break one point of the law, we are guilty of all. And Jesus points out that this young man's guilt, he points out his guilt, but he also points out the solution 
to his guilt and to his problem. So, first commandment, no other gods. You shall have no other gods before me. In in, uh, Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus makes this statement, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. Your money, your success, your safety and security, your position and your prominence can become a God to you among a whole lot of other things. For this young man, those things had become a God to him. And that translates into setting yourself up as a God that you worship. And this is what this young man had done. He had broken the first commandment. He thought in his mind that there was no other God but God. But his response to Jesus revealed that he had set himself up in his success, in his security, in his prosperity. He had set himself up as a God unto himself. And that was the God he worshiped. The second commandment is no idols. Don't have any idols. And we think of carved images and totem poles and all kinds of things. Psalm 24 verse 3 and 4 says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And the answer is, He who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. Idolatry can take many forms. What we idolize, whether that's money, sports, people, power, or whatever it is, becomes what we worship. And what we worship becomes what we serve. And what we serve becomes our God. Bob Dylan wrote a song called Gotta Serve Somebody. You guys know that song? I happen to, I happen to have the uh, words to that song right here. Here's one of my favorite lines of the song. You may call me Terry. You may call me Timmy. You may call me Bobby. You may call me Zimmy. You may call me RJ. You may call me Ray. You may call me anything, but no matter what you say, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. There have been no truer words written than the words of that song right there. We all will serve somebody. The question is, who are we going to serve? So idolatry can take many different forms. And that which we idolize is that which we ultimately come to serve. And that is, which ult- is, is what ultimately becomes a God to us. Here's the third commandment. Do not take God's name in vain. 2 Timothy 2.19, Paul writes this. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, we often think of this commandment as using God's name as a verb or an adjective. But that's really not primarily what this is about. This is not just about flippantly using the name of God. If you see any Jewish writings, you'll see that they'll never spell out the name of God. They'll put G-D because they don't want to put the O because they think it's using God's name in vain. Well, I'm going to tell you that's not what this commandment is about. I, I don't believe so. There's lots of ways we can use God's name in vain, but we can be very careful about how we write and how we speak God's name and still 
take God's name in vain. This rich young ruler was an example of that. The scribes and the Pharisees that <clears throat> Jesus encountered on a daily basis were an example of that. <clears throat> what does it mean to take God's name in vain? Well, I have taken God's name. I have named the name of Christ and I call myself a Christian. The question is, have I taken his name in vain? Is my life, is my walk, is my talk reflecting the character of that name? And does my life reflect faith in that name? If not, then I have taken God's name in vain. And the fourth is this, remember to keep the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember what James wrote, stumble in one point and he is guilty of all. There is no way that we can keep the Sabbath holy if, we have, if the object of our worship and the object of our joy is not the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ. There is no way to keep the Sabbath holy if we have any other God if we have set up our idols, if we have taken God's name, but we have taken it in vain, we cannot be Christian in name only, for that is vain worship, and it is false worship. And the Bible calls that sin. Our life in every way and in every day is to reflect Christ. This is our joy. This is our privilege that God has given to those who have taken his holy name. God gives us the privilege to take his name. Do not take his name in vain. So when Jesus tells the young man to sell what he had and to give it and give to the poor and to come follow him, Jesus was telling the young man, listen, to repent of his false, idolatrous, vain, and unholy worship. He was calling him to repent of his covetous lifestyle and to follow him. He was calling him to become a disciple who truly loved God and who truly loved his neighbor as himself. We cannot truly love our neighbor if we do not truly love God. John writes this in his first epistle. You cannot say that you love God and hate your brother. So how can I truly love my neighbor if I do not truly love God? The answer is you can't. This young man thought he was, but he was not. And we know that he did not truly love God because he walked away from Jesus sorrowful. But he chose his possessions over the Lord of glory. So to truly love God, this is what Christ calls us to. What Jesus knew that the rich young ruler refused to see was that he had set up another God. He had become idolatrous in his worship of his own success and security. He had taken God's name in vain, for it was in name only that he worshiped God. The practice of his life revealed the true condition of his heart. The practice of my life will, will, will reveal the true condition of my heart. The practice of your life will reveal the true condition of your heart. He did not keep the Sabbath day holy because he did not keep the faith and his worship and his lifestyle was unholy. He had great possessions and he coveted those possessions as his own 
when in reality, all that he had and all that we have and all that we are, even our very life, do you hear me, church? Even your very life is not your own. It belongs to Jesus, belongs to God. He did not truly love God. Therefore, he could not truly love his neighbor. The love that he had was love for himself. As we all are in various ways, are you listening to me? It's not just this young man, it's all of us. We all are in various ways, as this young man was, blind to the true condition of his heart. Jesus, in his grace, revealed his true heart condition and made known the remedy for his heart condition. This is the remedy Jesus gave him. Leave what you have and come follow me. This is the remedy Jesus gives to us. Leave what you have and come follow me. This is what Jesus is calling you and me to do. To leave behind what we have. To leave your sin behind. To leave your idols behind. To leave your vanity and your vain worship behind. To leave the unholy, the unloving, and the unbelieving behind, to leave your pain behind, but not the perseverance, the character, and the hope that that pain produced by the grace of God. Don't leave that behind, but leave your pain behind. Rejoice in his grace that has delivered you and redeemed you from your past and has made all things new in him. Worship God with all your heart with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. For to do that is to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. This is love. What we love most truly, we will worship most truly. And what we worship most truly and what we love most truly will most truly define our life. What defines your life? May the love of God define your life. Jesus said, leave all behind and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Those are the words Jesus spoke to this young man. Those are the words that Jesus is speaking to each of us right now. That is the scripture. That is God's word. And as I read God's word, God is speaking to you through his word. How does God speak to us today? Hebrews chapter one. God has spoken to us in various ways, in sundry ways in the past, by angels, by dreams, by visions, by prophets of old. But how does God speak to us today? He speaks to us today by his son. And how does his son speak to us today? By his word. I'm not saying God can't impress upon your heart and upon your mind. But the primary way that God speaks to you is through his word. You will never hear from God if you never read his word. You will never hear from God if you never hear his word. Jesus is calling each of us today. He's calling Christ fellowship. He's calling you. He's calling me. 
He's calling all who will hear. He's calling us to trust him and by faith to leave what we have behind. And God will show you what, what that means for you based on where you are right now in your life. For this rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, it meant leaving his possessions behind. This doesn't mean that God's calling you to go liquidate your assets and give it all to the poor and become, that's not the point. The point is for this rich young ruler, this is what God required of him in order for his worship to be true. He asked the question of Jesus, what do I need to do? And Jesus told him. The question you must ask of God is, God, what must I do? And God will show you. God will show you what it means to leave what you have behind. It's different. It's various for everybody because everybody's in a different place dealing with different things. But we all have things that we must be willing to leave behind. We must lay those down and take up the cross and follow Jesus. God will show you what that means for your life right now based on where you are. For all of us, this call has spiritual application. That is for sure. But what it will require of you emotionally or materially can only be determined by God. And he will continue. He's speaking to some of you. He's really speaking to all of us right now. It's kind of like the song we sing. I love you, God. I know you love me. Just sometimes I know it more than other times. I know I need you, God. I just know it sometimes more than other times. Listen, God is speaking to every one of us right now. Depending on where you are in your life and what you're dealing with, you might be more acutely aware of what God is saying to you. And I would encourage you to listen to his words. So for all of us, this has spiritual application. For all of us, this has application in every way. But God will continue to reveal that to you in many ways and through various means. The fact that you're listening to these words right now is a way and a means God is using to speak to you and reveal his will in you. And we know God is working all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. This is the promise of Romans 8:28. We've all blown it. We've all failed miserably. We've all felt the weight of that condemnation that we put upon ourselves that the enemy gladly allows us to be buried under. But God has made this promise that he works all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. It is not an accident that you are sitting in this room today listening to this message, listening to this word. It's not an accident. God in his sovereignty before the sun, the moon, and the stars were ever created, ordained that you would be here listening to his word because he is making a promise to you that he will work all things together for good. Love him and know that you are the called according to his purpose. Believe him and believe that promise, trust in him. Is there any other God before you? Have you cast down your idols? Have you taken his name in vain or have you honored his name through your life? 
Have you embraced the holy in rejection of the unholy? Do you love him? Do you love God with all you have and with all you are? These are important questions. They're important questions that you need to ask yourself. On one hand, this is impossible. To keep this law, to do this, is impossible. It's impossible through your own power and through your own ability. Jesus said, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. His disciples said, Lord, what hope does anybody have? And the response of Jesus was, with men, this is impossible. If you're trying to figure out how you are going to do this in yourself, through your own will, through your own power, through your own strength, forget it. You're not going to. Jesus tells us right here with men, this is impossible. But with God, with God, all things are impossible. There is no situation that is hopeless. There is no circumstance beyond repair and beyond hope because with God, all things are possible. The question is, do you trust him? Do you love him? Do you know him? So see the possibilities with God, not the impossibilities with men. The things which are impossible for men are possible for God. Jesus said that. It's recorded in Luke 18, 27. Stop looking to the arm of the flesh and start looking to God. Trust him. Leave what you have behind. Leave your sin and your shame and take up your cross and follow Jesus into the newness that he has prepared for those who will love him and adore him and find in him their greatest joy. Do this for his joy and do this to his glory. God knows that you cannot do this in your own strength. That's why he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians goes on and it says, In Christ you become a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Christ was crucified for us that we could be crucified with him and be raised in his new life. Paul records that in Galatians 2.20. There is nothing we will leave behind that we will not find for good a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. We just read that in Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, when his disciples said, what about us? We've left everything. Jesus said, you will inherit a hundredfold and eternal life. You can't lose. It's impossible for you to lose. As a child of God, you cannot lose. It is impossible. You can't mess it up that bad. If you are truly trusting in Jesus, you can't. What seems impossible to you is absolutely possible for God. Jesus goes on and he says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. This is a kingdom principle. 
we spend so much of our time trying to trying to make a name for ourselves and make a place for ourselves and have a place of, of power and prominence in the world. Everybody wants their 15 minutes of fame. We base our worth on what other people think of us. Please don't do that. Your worth has nothing to do what, with what other people think of you. Your worth has everything to do with what God thinks of you. And God thought so much of his children that he died for them. God holds our position and our placement in his sovereign hands by his sovereign grace. It's not our position or popularity in the world that counts, but our position and our place of endearment we hold in Christ. That will determine all. The riches that this young man possessed could never get him to heaven. And if you really believed that your soul hinged on your riches, would you be willing to give those riches up to inherit eternal life? For this rich young ruler, he was not willing to do that. What is it that has become our God, our idol? What is it that we are worshiping? What is it? Who is it that we are serving other than God that has consumed our life to the point that our very worth and our very life is wrapped up in someone or something else? Do you realize this is the way the world lives their life? This is why people are... I watched Jimmy Kimmel, the, the video clip. You, you guys realize he was in Austin doing a show because South by Southwest is going on. And so he did the uh, man on the street interview and he interviewed all these people who were stoned out of their minds. They couldn't tell you who the mayor was, who the governor was, what a senator was. But they, 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 he said, who's uh, so-and-so from South Park? I'm like, I don't even know what South Park. They, they could tell you everything. They could tell you all the characters. They could, oh, yeah, that's blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, that happened to him. And, but they couldn't tell you anything about anything that was relevant or important. Because we become, we, be, we idolize entertainment. We idolize celebrity. And we want to dress like them. And we want to look like them. And we want to sound like them. And we emulate them. And we, we copy them. This is exactly what the Bible tells us to do with Jesus. Emulate him, copy him, be like him, talk like him, walk like him. If that's who we love, most truly, this is who we will emulate most truly. It's no position you hold in the world. It's no popularity you hold in this world that will determine anything in the end. Here is the truth. Ephesians 1.3 says, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Those are blessings we reap now. We think because we hear the word heavenly and spiritual there's some far off place, some far off thing that's only going to be visible and real to us when we get there. That's not true. He has, past tense, 
already done. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What is, why, why does he say heavenly? Does it mean we have to get to heaven to, to, to get it? No. It means that what God has blessed us with is not temporary. It's not, it's not going to pass away. It's eternal. It's heavenly. It doesn't mean it's not real. It's as real as the chair you're sitting on. It's as real as this concrete slab this building is, is built on. And it's not far away off in the future. It is right now in Jesus. Those are blessings we reap now in this life and in eternity. We reap those blessings now and eternally only in Christ. So the question is begged, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? If not, cry out to him from a heart of faith and have the assurance that he will not only hear, but he will answer and he will give to you the remedy of your problem called sin. So I challenge you, love God above and beyond all, all things. Make your worship true. Guard against the vain and the profane. Do not lie to yourself and remember that God always knows the truth about the condition of your heart and so the condition of your worship and so the condition of your life. For they are all linked together. You are not too young and you are not too old. Today is the day, now is the time to worship him, to love him, and to find your greatest joy and worth in him. We are called to be a witness. Make sure your witness is giving glory to God and to his grace and not justifying his judgment and his wrath. Love God and love him above and beyond all that you have, above all people and above all things. This is our worship. This is our worship of God. It's not what we do for two hours on a Sunday. It's who you are every day of your life. In your waking, in your sleeping, in your work, in your play. It's who you are. Let's all stand. And let us pray. Lord, we confess that we cannot do this in our strength through our own will. We confess our weakness. We confess our failures. We confess our faults. We confess that we are prone to wander. We have trouble walking, much less running. We confess, Lord, that we are not graceful, but we are clumsy. But we confess this weakness and this hope and in this promise that you made to the Apostle Paul who cried out to you in his weakness and prayed and begged for your mercy. And your promise to him was that in our weakness, 
your strength is made perfect. So we ask today, we pray today, God, that you would make your strength perfect in our weakness. That you would make your strength complete in us. We confess that it is only by your grace that this can happen. We have no righteousness, God, apart from you. We cannot be righteous because we try hard enough. But we should desire righteousness so much that we try. And when we fail, as we surely will, we fall upon the grace of God knowing that it's not ultimately our righteousness that saves us, but it is the righteousness of Jesus that saves us and gives to us a heart that would hunger and thirst for your righteousness. So God, give us a heart that would hunger and thirst for your righteousness and give us the assurance that we shall be filled in Jesus Christ. We pray this, God, for your glory. May your people find their greatest joy in you. And may they be to you glory and honor world without end. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen.